Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. You're listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Mississippi. Covering Mississippi State sports like nobody else. Sports Talk Mississippi's Brian Haydad, along with Robbie Falk from 24-7 Sports, give you an inside look at the Bulldogs on the field, the court, and the diamond. Now, get ready for Thunder and Lightning. This is Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brian Haydad and Robbie Falk here with you on a Thursday morning. Thanks for joining us at supertalk.fm or wherever it is you get podcasts from. We appreciate all of our great listeners, especially our servicemen and women out there taking care of us. Robbie, I got a, a real quick delay here. We're just a real time update. We're recording. It's like six fifteen on a uh, Wednesday. Wednesday. I'm sending my wife a message that says, "Please record wrestling." Got to got to make sure I don't miss a moment of AEW Dynamite. <laughs> do you do you not have? You don't do streaming, do you? No, I don't. I, I just have regular old cable. So you've got to and cut. The normally, cable. I'm home, so it's not a problem. But I, I'm not going to make it home in time. So I was like, set it to record. You've got to cut the cord, by the way. Well, you know, it's got to happen real quick. I mean, we'll get back into it. But you can always just go to TNT's or TBS's website tomorrow and rewatch the show. Yeah. If I miss the show and I don't get it recorded, I can just watch it on TBS. Yeah. So, but normally I just record it. It's not a big deal. Thanks to all our servicemen who are out there taking care of us. We really appreciate you guys. I want to thank our sponsors at Strange Brew Coffee House and Churn and Spoon Ice Cream. Start your day the right way with a trip to the drive-thru. Strange Brew Coffee House or Churn and Spoon Ice Cream. Sorry, at uh, Brupolo. Uh, you can start your day at Churn and Spoon. This is like two days in a row you've done this. I've just got ice cream on the brain. Maybe I need to go get a milkshake. I bought some ice cream today. I should have gone to Churn and Spoon, but I'm so far away. Yeah. I just I couldn't fair. do it. Well, what if Brupolo, what if Churn and Spoon was in Matheson. Then I would be 300 pounds. But Matheson yeah. does have a really good ice cream place. It's called Melts. Lash Legend is often there. She might frequent it every now and then. Kind of random, isn't it? Where is this? In Matheson. Really? Yes. Anriel lives in Webster County. I had no idea about these things. Okay, well, there you yeah. go. Well, you she dates her, Donald need, Lee. You need to run into her and get her on this podcast. Well, I ran into her in uh, Dallas, I, I, and I, I might see her. Right? I might see her in Nashville this weekend. I don't know. If you see but her, you, see see what we can work. You know, with. she dates Donald Lee, right? I know she dates. Yeah, yeah. Donald Lee lives in Webster who is, County. Who is what? Twenty years older than her. He's in his forties. Yeah, he's, he's my age. I'm older than that than Andrew, and he's ten years. Yeah. Probably order the main. Hey, you know what? I don't think I love is love. You don't judge love. Who's judging? Anyway, if Brupolo was in Matheson, that would that'd be weird too. We have a coffee shop too now. That's just a thriving metropolis. It, it is. It really is. It's really great. You know Patterson. Why is doing that? Because you're there. It is. It really did start to boom whenever I moved here. I don't know. I don't know what it was. I can't. I can't explain. <laughs> Wow. College Corner at collegecornerstore.com. That's the place to find maroon and white merchandise. You can't find just anywhere else. You can only find it at College Corner. Two locations to serve you in the Jackson area. They're in Ridgeland by Fleet Feet. They're in Flowood by the Half Shell. 
or you can always shop online at collegecornerstore.com. Humble Taco is Starkville's best Mexican restaurant. I say it all the time. You love tacos. Everybody likes tacos, all right? It's it, it, The concept of the taco is something everybody can get behind. Bread with a filling, right? We're all yes. on the same page here. That's what a taco is at its absolute heart. Well, when you take your favorite southern dishes and you turn those into tacos, you got something that you can't get anywhere else. You can only get it at Humble Taco. That's why they call it Mexican fare with Mississippi roots. So head to Humble Taco, get one of their handcrafted margaritas, get some chips and salsa, some chips and queso, and get a couple of tacos, the kind you can't get anywhere else, only at Humble Taco. Did you get 1,500 free reward points today with Firehouse Subs? You could have. If you're following Firehouse Subs on Twitter, they set everything up for you right there. And, of course, you would be eating a lot of free sandwiches with 1,500 reward points. So I hope if if there was still time, there may still be time to take advantage of that. I don't know. Follow Firehouse Subs on Twitter. And, of course, download the free Firehouse Subs app. Get a sandwich. And the next time you get a sandwich, maybe you don't have to pay for it. Locations in Starkville and Oxford, Columbus and Tupelo, Fullerwood and Madison, Firehouse Subs. Today's a catch-up show. Not the, uh, not the, uh, the condiment that I think Jake Wimberly might bathe in. Not that kind of catch-up. But we're going to be catching up. We've got two opponent previews to do today, and we've got three games on the countdown to do. So that's going to be the show. Got two interviews coming up. I talked with Michael Casagrande of AL.com. You're not going to believe it, Robbie. Alabama looks like they're going to be good again. Yeah, I know, right? I don't know what to do with that information. Although we found out the other day that Nick Saban almost quit after the uh, kick six. Why couldn't that have happened? Why couldn't we just all, you know? I mean, Nick Saban cost Mississippi State a trip to the uh, the playoffs the next year. If if Saban's not in Alabama, State wins that that game. Yep. And they are in the playoffs. Yes. Yes. So it just kind of is what it is. All right, so let's start with Alabama because we're going backwards on the schedule. October 22nd, State heads to Tuscaloosa. Robbie, we're sitting here right now, and I don't think either one of us expect Mississippi State to win this game. But in year three, Robbie, doesn't, doesn't, you know, we've talked about games that State should win this year and what their record should be, but shouldn't there be another sign of progress? And that's being in the damn game with Alabama at some point. Scoring touchdowns. Score that. Two years, no touchdowns for Mike Leach against Alabama. That's kind of like the first step, isn't it? Like, just just be able to move the football down the field and score points. <laughs> you know how to, 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 to take the football, but you don't know how to, to score with the football. You don't score until you score. Like, it's the only time that this game has been really competitive with Mississippi State able to, like, move the ball down the field Mm-hmm. was that 2017 game. Mullen's last game was the oh, – even in his time at Mississippi State, there were a couple of close games in there. I think they lost by 10 in 2013. They lost, obviously, by five. But but it was State's defense. They kept them in it. Right. That was the only time where you ever saw State being able to run the football and move it against Alabama was in 2017. Since that time, State has scored 16 points in four years against Alabama. Yeah. 24 Bama 19, had, 18, 32 7 in 19, 41 nothing, 20, and 49 9 last year. 
And it was all field goals last year. Yeah, it's all field goals. And that 2017 game, there was like a chink in the armor of the defense because the linebackers were all hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, like Keith Holcomb was starting. Like, so State was able to that really Dylan move Moses the football. Was was hurt? Yeah, I remember him. Dylan being. Moses, and then you know a couple other guys were hurt too. Like yeah. they they were out a couple guys. Mm-hmm. That's what has to happen. Like Bama's got to got to be down a few positions, right? Uh, for you to have a chance. But State, I mean, right now, I mean, what we saw against LSU in that first game that that Mike Leach coached. When we said I was at your house, and I said the state's going to be able to move the football against anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, at this stage in the game, Mike Leach should be able to have his offense be productive against just about everybody. Not, not you know 40, 40 points a game against everybody, but they shouldn't be going three and out against Bama, or you know they shouldn't be settling for field goals. They should be able to move the football and score points against uh, Alabama in year three. They have the guys to do it. This is this is what happened last year with Alabama. They gave up 29 points. They won all these games, but they gave up 29 points to Florida. They gave up 21 points to Ole Miss. They lost at Texas A&M, I guess I should say. They only gave up 41 in that game, 24 to Tennessee, 14 to LSU, 35 to Arkansas, 22 to Auburn. There's no excuse to not be able to be competitive. Nobody's expecting you to win. And if the game gets out of hand late, I mean that Tennessee game, right? It got it got out of hand late. So you know, but going into the fourth quarter, it should not be forty-two to nine. Yeah, and listen, I mean, Alabama has shifted their game plan from what it was from a defensive philosophy, hard nose, yes, ground and pound defense philosophy. Nick Saban saw that the game was changing and offenses were getting better and offenses were getting tougher to, to stop. And his defenses have not been the defenses that they were in 2012 because the game has changed. You're, you're just not going to see very many defenses like that anymore, uh, at least for a while. So he shifted with it, and now his offense has become a juggernaut for the most part. He's producing Heisman-winning quarterbacks. He's producing some of the best wide receivers in the country. Mm-hmm. So State should be able to move the football and score some points against this defense more than they have in the past. Now, defending Alabama on, on defense for Mississippi State is kind of the, the challenge. Right. Uh, because I expect you have Alabama some of the best players in the country at every yeah. position. But now, with that said, their, their defense is still going to be pretty freaking good, too. I agree. Sorry. So let's go into this interview here. I talked with Michael, Michael Casagrande. He's been covering the Tide for a long time, a long-time guest here on the podcast with AL.com. Let's get his thoughts on Alabama and what they're going to be looking like this season. I saw this guy uh, last week at SEC Media Days, and I was like, it's, it's almost that time. And he didn't want to believe it, but, but here we are. We're previewing Alabama with our friend Michael Casagrande from AL.com. I told you it was time, Michael. We, 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 got, we, got, to, we got to set schedule for these kind of things. Yeah, I should have been around long enough. I should have uh, seen this one coming. Always a pleasure. Ah, glad, glad to be with you. Another year with Alabama, you know, the questions kind of remain the same year in and year out with this team. Bryce Young, the returning Heisman Trophy winner, but around him, question marks in terms of there's not a lot of known commodities. You know there's talent, but the known commodities aren't there as, as much as they've been in year past. We'll start with Jameer Gibbs coming in from Georgia Tech. Is, is this another guy we can pencil in for 12, 1,300 yards with Alabama? I mean, he's there's they seem to be very high on him in the preseason. Uh, he had a big 75-yard touchdown in the spring game, uh, showed some breakaway speed. 
Um, had some good numbers at Georgia Tech. Didn't really have the offensive line, the offense to produce the big time numbers, uh, but they seemed pretty high on them. Uh, a couple guys coming back from ACL tears uh, behind them. So uh, there, there's definitely some talent there in the backfield. And then in the wide receiver position, I, I voted Ja'Cory Brooks first team All-SEC. I know Jermaine Burton got a lot of, 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 of love as well. I, I just look at it as, you know, you know that one Alabama receiver is going to catch 60 to 70 passes for 1,000 to 1,200 yards and be close to 10 touchdowns. I just took a shot in the dark with, with Brooks. Uh, who do you like better of those two guys? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, it's just kind of one of those things with this season. Uh, a year ago, I, I couldn't have told you that Jamison Williams would have been uh, – Litnikoff finalist, uh, first round draft pick when he came in from Ohio State. So that's kind of the the thing about it is it's there's some mystery involved with there's talent, but how does how does these new parts fit in with the establishment with established quarterback offense? Um, you got multiple receivers coming in: Jermaine Burton, Tyler Harrell from Louisville, Speedster. Um, so it's just how are they all going to mix together and come? and make a cohesive group. I think that's the biggest question. And which one of those guys emerges? Like, I don't know. It just, they, you saw a little bit of Ja'Cory Brooks last year. He had that, the big catch in the iron bowl, uh, two, two big catches on that final drive and regulation to touchdown, obviously, but uh, it, it's uh, how far has he progressed since, uh, since January? Because you could tell there was a serious drop off in the championship game when Jamison Williams went down, when you had, Neither him nor John Mechie out there, uh, the level of play in the passing game just fell off a cliff. So um, the consistency, the ability to play a full game um, without those, without other guys taking up the, effort, the the defensive effort, I think those are all the questions that are that'll be have to be answered once they get around to the season this year. Because it's just it's hard to tell you uh, in July. Is there another level for Bryce Young to achieve? I mean, he had such a fantastic season last year. The thing that strikes me about him is I know he's mobile. I know he's got wheels, but he doesn't run the ball at all. I mean, not even on, on scrambles as much. Is there another level or another addition he can make to his game? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good question and something that we've wondered. And, you know, he's he's not the biggest of quarterbacks. He's not the biggest of guys. So it's, it's is it a self-preservation? Um, do you need to get every – two or three extra yards, sacrifice the body when when that's not necessarily how they're going to win a game, uh, him diving for a first down pylon or whatnot. So I don't, I don't you know, it's it's, a, it's an interesting question that he's not really ever fully answered or I never felt like it was fully answered in the past. Uh, but I, I don't, you know, I don't know if he's trying to go out there and be a Johnny Manziel, um, Kyler Murray, try to win the game, you know, with a multifaceted thing, I think he's he's more of a, a, a trying to win it with his right arm instead of his right and left legs. But he uses his legs to he 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 uses mobility in the pocket to to buy more time. I think that's what his his objective is instead of trying to get downfield as often. Mississippi State, you know, you look at Mullins last year at State, and, and that game was really close here in Starkville. Uh, Moorhead was not able to be close to Alabama, and Leach the last two years has lost by 40 points or more in, in both attempts. Is there something about the air raid and what Mike Leach likes to do offensively that makes it such a mismatch for Alabama, or is it just a talent thing these past couple of years? That's a good question. I mean, I think that first year it was probably a, a personnel. Um, I think the starting quarterback got knocked out pretty yeah. – knocked out cold early in that game. Um 
I, I think to just defensively, Alabama's just been ahead of things. I mean, last year was hard to do much offensively when Will Anderson had five sacks in that game. Uh, so it, I think in that sense, they were able to disrupt the the flow of things, what, what state wants to do. But um, yeah, I, I, it's a good question. If, if there's something schematically that Alabama likes about it, they haven't let a touchdown. I don't believe in, in the two years of Mike Leach yeah. being there as a shutout last year. And I think nine points and three field goals last year. So it's one of those things that, um, yeah, it, it hasn't seemed to bother this defense that has had, you know, some had some issues, uh, giving up some big yards, big plays, uh, big scores in, in the last couple of years, but neither, neither Mississippi state game could, uh, could manage that. And it kind of feels like, and this may just be a, a thing that I'm, I'm projecting here, but Saban as an old secondary coach probably takes a little delight in shutting down a, a wide open passing offense. You would think. Oh, for sure. I mean, that was, State in 2020 opened the year with the record-setting performance at defending champion LSU. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I know Jordan Battle had an interception last year. I think there might have been two interceptions. And so, yeah, if 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 it's a battle between a high-octane passing offense and a, a secondary, I think Saban's going to put it extra um, into uh, extra delight into winning that battle. Alabama's not a team that I feel like has to circle games on the calendar very often. They're the team that gets circled more often than not. But we'll talk about this Texas A&M game for just a minute because we all, you know, no need to go into everything that happened this offseason. We all know what happened. When you talk to Alabama people and players, do you get the sense that that's a game that Nick Saban might finally, you know, go full Darth Vader in and just kind of take it to him if he can? If he can't, yeah. You know, it's it's – not like AM is is coming in uh, a weak team and they're gonna have time to work with new quarterbacks and be at a better at a better level if it was you know an early September game. Uh but yeah, I mean I think I think there's gonna be a lot of emotion in in the in the stadium that day. I think um I mean just the fact they lost to him a year ago the first time a, a assistant coach has beaten a, a saving team was enough. Mm-hmm. And then everything that happened over the summer. So yeah, it's you know, there will be a few weeks of the season. There'll be enough. There'll be plenty of um, other storylines by that point in the season. But I think it's hard to get away from maybe one of the uglier spats between two coaches that I could ever remember. You know, in a definitely in the month of May. Is this the uh, the national championship team we're, we're looking at this year in Alabama? You know, <laughs> you should know at this point whether or not it's what. I mean, it's, I I don't know what's around. You know, it, it depends on so many other teams around the country. Who else? You know, is Clemson going to be back at that level? What does Georgia do? Ohio State obviously is is the other. It's the kind of one two. Um, so yeah, I mean, on paper, yeah, I think they have the this the talent, the skill to to be right there. Uh, it, does do the injuries work out? Does the health stay stay strong? I mean, there have been years where. They look like a national championship team in, in August and a few injuries happen and it just kind of see you see that opportunity slip away. 2019 was one of those years where they could have been a championship team and and there were injuries early on at linebacker and it seemed like they never could recover from it. We will see what happens in Tuscaloosa in mid-October. Mississippi State just looking to be competitive this year with Alabama I think would be a good measuring stick. We'll see what happens then. Michael Costagrande, man, always appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Brian. All right, thanks to Mike. Appreciate his time. Always good information from him. Nobody knows that beat better uh, than, than Mike does. 
and I mean, you, you hear, you heard everything he has to say. It's, it's another, it's another uphill challenge, you know, if not just for Mississippi state for everybody in the sec, I think that, you know, state state goes eight and four. I'm not really going to sneeze at much. I'm all, I'm going to be okay. That's about what I projected. They, they were pretty good this year, but eight and four and you lose by 40 plus to Alabama again, it becomes a question of what are you paying Mike Leach $5.5 million a year for? Because that was the, the 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 thought process, right? We hired Mike Leach so that Mississippi State could be more competitive against the top teams in the SEC. Now he's beaten A and M since he's been here. He's beaten LSU. Uh, he's he's beaten uh, Auburn. Still got games with Arkansas and, and and Ole Miss to get, but he's been competitive against Arkansas and competitive against Ole Miss. But against Alabama, like we said earlier, he's a combined, it's 90 to, to, to 9. That's the score in two years. You got to take a step forward and start making this a football game at some point. This is these yeah, things happens. I don't think anybody expects Mississippi State to win this game. Right. But just don't be out of it in the first quarter. Don't be down 21 to 0 in the first quarter. Um, you know, it's, it's gotten to the point where it's just kind of, um, it's disheartening, and it's like this for a lot of teams in the SEC. It's not just Mississippi State, but you know every year going into the season, you have given yourself a loss right. to Alabama, and that's that's tough. You know every single season you're going to lose that ball game, and you're, you're not going to be very competitive in that game either. Mississippi State's competitive like every five years in that game, it seems like, every four years. You know what's years. funny, though? If you go back a couple of decades – it was LSU that was this way. State couldn't stay in the game with LSU. They lost every time to them 30, 40 points. They were always sort of competitive under Cheryl and Croom, and I think part of that was those guys played at Alabama. But they were always competitive against Alabama. And then when yeah. Saban came in, that's when everything kind of flipped. Yeah. And, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. This guy eventually is going to leave. And when he leaves, they will not be what they are now. Is he? Robbie, I mean, sure he hasn't discovered. He's probably going to be like Keith, Rich, the Keith Richards of college football, and he's just like never I think going to a die. Contest between those two guys. He's probably like taking some experimental drugs behind the scenes. Yeah, that's like keeping him alive. Like he's he's, he's already like offered. The president has you know he's already offered up his his heart and his lungs. He's he's being controlled internally with some kind of electrical. System. There's no. He's a robot. There's no blood, now, blood in there. Man. Yeah. There's no blood in there. He took all that out because he doesn't need to to eat. He doesn't need to sleep. Just his oatmeal cream. Needs pie. to. Do, so now he has football, and that's all he has to worry about. And he's never going to die. Or what if we find die. out that oatmeal cream pies are like the, the the key to eternal life? Like the opposite of like idi- idiocracy. Whenever they like start putting right. Gatorade on yes. all the. It's like the opposite. Rondo. Yes. It's got what plants crave. There we go. All right. <laughs> so this is a tough stretch for State. I mean, this is the toughest stretch of the season, these two games, right? Because they're both on the road, both against good teams. And when we talk about well, you need to go one and one in this stretch, what you're saying is you got to beat Kentucky. You're, yeah. not, you're not saying we got to go one and one and beat Alabama. Yeah, that would be the most typical state thing, though, right? Would be to lose beat Kentucky, Kentucky and lose Alabama. And, and, and I mean, beat Alabama. Bama and lose Kentucky. Yeah, exactly. Kentucky, yeah, I can say that. It's been 
it's been since 2014 since State won there. State had won, I think, what, three in a row. They won, or no, four in a row because they had that weird situation where they played back-to-back years in Lexington. So they had won 9, 10, 12, 14. And then 16, 18, 20, they've lost those games. And it's just been the home team winning these games. Last year, Mississippi State played maybe its most efficient offensive game of the season. Will Rogers, we all know what he did in that game, 90-plus percent completion. Uh, we also know that that was the game where State sort of really committed to the running game for the first time that year and was over 100 yards rushing in that game. I, a lot of me thinks that if State can do those things again, and obviously 90%, I'm not even talking about that, just, but if, if Rogers is just efficient and State runs the football, they can get that win again. And as you'll hear in this interview we're about to do, go to with John Hale, you know, the Stoops' defensive philosophy is kind of, you know, to, to be aggressive in coverage, and it allows for those soft spots in the zone that Will Rogers was just able to pick them apart last year. This could be like a sneaky, good college football game right in the middle of the season, I think. Yeah, me too. I, I'm really intrigued with Kentucky. Um, you know, they returned some some key pieces – they're replacing some guys on defense that I think they're going to be tough to replace, but they've recruited really well. They've gotten a couple of guys out of the transfer portal. You have this stigma like the Will Levis thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people think he's just, he's going to be a Heisman contender, uh, you know, first-round draft pick. I think that he's capable of that, but we just – we haven't seen that mm-hmm. to, to go ahead and jump to conclusion there. Um, I think you and I are both assuming that he is better this year. That's that's been my thought process is he's going to be a better quarterback. And I, I don't know if he's going to be first-round draft pick, but I think he's going to be pretty good. And they have some pieces around him for them to be, I think, the number two team or number three team in the East. Mm-hmm. But we just don't know. I mean, we're, we're giving them a lot of credit because they've been steady under Stoops, but – there's a lot of pieces there to replace. They do have one of the better running backs in the SEC coming back. Their offensive line has been really good under Stoops since he's been there. Their defense has usually been pretty good. So, you know, I, I think this – I agree with you. I think this is going to be a good – a really good ball game. You and I are one of the few people, it seems like, around Mississippi State that's picking Kentucky mm-hmm. in this game. Yeah. But that's just where I am right now just because I – I think they're going to be solid in this road game. Mississippi State hadn't had a lot of success there in recent years. So that's just where where I am right now with them and yeah. in this game. Well, let's go to the interview. John Hale from the Louisville Courier-Journal joins us now and uh, get his thoughts on the Wildcats. All right, second half of our opponent preview on today's show, the Kentucky Wildcats. We'll be talking to John Hale, my friend from up in uh, – Kentucky, the Louisville Courier-Journal, been covering the Wildcats for a long time up there. No EPL jokes today. John, please, I beg you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Will Levis. He's the story of the Kentucky's offseason uh, thus far for me. And look, when I saw him play last year, good quarterback. Was I was impressed with him at times. I thought he gave Kentucky a dimension they hadn't had. They won a lot of games. Great great for them. And then you come into this season and we see him uh, you know, in a mock drafts, top 10 pick, top 5 pick. Number one overall pick in some mock drafts. I thought he was good, but what what am I missing? What what am I not seeing? Am I wrong about Will Levis getting that much preseason hype? I, I don't think you're wrong. I think it's a question of 
what he is now versus what he can be. And let's be honest, the more reputable of these mock drafts have him as kind of a mid to late first round pick Mm -hmm. uh, versus some of these that have him as a top 10. The one that had him at number one overall certainly was a kind of an outlier. But I do think it's a question of he was good last year. He got better as the season went along. He showed a pretty high amount of promise considering he had just been a backup at Penn State. It was his first year as a full-time starter. He has a great arm strength. He can make plays with his legs. He was operating in an offense that Liam Cohen brought from the Rams to Kentucky. Now Cohen is back with the Rams, the Super Bowl champions, as our offensive coordinator. He's probably going to be an NFL coach, head coach in the next two years. So he was succeeding in this offense that is so in vogue at the next level right now, which I think definitely helps him in the minds of, you know, some of these pro scouts, mock draft kind of people. That being said, if he's going to cash in on that hype, even the more conservative part of it, a first round pick, he's got to take another step forward. He's got to throw fewer interceptions. He's got to make some better decisions. He's got to prove that he can um, make a competent passing game without Wandale Robinson, who was basically his number one, number two, and number three options last year. All of those things are legitimate questions. So I, I think he could be the same quarterback and still be Kentucky's best player at that position in 10 or 15 years. But if he wants to be a first-round pick like like so many are projecting right now, he definitely still needs to take another step a step ahead. And one thing he does have to fall back on is, you know, Kentucky under Mark Stoops has always been a great running team, and they've done it with depth through the years. They, they've had you know top-quality backs, but they've also been able to have that second and third back be really, really good. Chris Rodriguez, I know we'll talk about him and in, in the legal issues in just a moment, but He's sort of the spearhead of this of this offense. Do they still have that same depth in the backfield they've had the past few years under Stoops? Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously not nearly as proven as it was beforehand. You know, when Chris Rodriguez was the number two guy, when they had A.J. Rose and they had Benny Snell, they had guys who had, who had been out there and played a lot. In terms of the guys behind Chris right now, which could be very important because, as you mentioned, he's got a legal issue. He pled guilty to a DUI charge in, in June. We don't really know what amount of games he'll be suspended for, if any. Mark Stoops wasn't ready to say at SEC Media Days. But behind him, the only guy who's played significant snaps before is Cavassier Smoke, who's kind of the speed option or has been the last couple of years, the home run threat at that position. But he's also been injured a lot. He's really struggled to stay on the field and be healthy. So he's kind of a question mark in himself. They went out and added uh, Ramon Jefferson, a transfer from Sam Houston State, was one of the best running backs at the FCS level last year. It's a similar running style to Chris Rodriguez, but how you translate from being a you know 1,500-yard back at the FCS level to the SEC, nobody I think really knows for sure. Uh, a guy like Jaton McClain, they're really excited about at running back. Lavelle Wright, another young guy, but neither of those guys has played significant snaps before, and it's a real question as to you know whether they're ready to take that next step forward. I think there's potential for them to be as deep as they have been in the past, but it's so unproven right now that if you're a Kentucky fan, you're really hoping that Chris Rodriguez does not miss uh, you know a significant amount of time. And then you mentioned him a minute ago, Wondell Robinson, so good for Kentucky a season ago, now off to the NFL. Who replaces him as the big play guy in that passing offense? Yeah, the hope is that you have a group of guys step up and you have, I guess, you know, four or five different receivers that you feel good about throwing to and no single one of them does what Wondell Robinson did. I mean, obviously, he, he broke the single season record for catches and receiving yards at, for the program. So nobody had ever done what Wondell Robinson did for Kentucky last year. But 
Uh, they went out and added Tavion Robinson, same last name from Virginia Tech as the transfer. He's kind of the like-for-like replacement. Will be their, I think, Will Levis's number one option as the slot receiver. They'll move him around, do a bunch of different things. But they need some other guys to step up too. Uh, Demarcus Harris was a, is a, a junior now. He's been on campus for three or four years. He he made some plays down the stretch last year. They need him to be better. Um, then they need some freshmen to really contribute. And they signed several really intriguing players in that 22 class. Dane Key is a local guy from Lexington, a four-star recruit, was here for spring practice, enrolled early, was maybe the standout receiver in spring because apparently carried that momentum into the summer. Will Levis at SEC Media Days called him a starter. So he's obviously going to be counting on a lot. Uh, they signed a four-star kid from the Nashville area named Barryon Brown, who they need to come in and contribute right away. And then they've got two freshmen who are kind of track stars, including Jordan Anthony from the Mississippi area, who uh, is the fastest high school sprinter in the country, won the U.S. U-20 200-meter championship earlier this summer. So they've got some speed there, but they'll definitely need uh, some new faces to emerge at that receiver position. Defensively, under Mark Stoops, we know that this is going to be a hard – hard-hitting, you know, salty unit. It has been every year. They, they've got some guys, you know, some names that Mississippi people are going to recognize. Josiah Hayes is from Mississippi. Uh, Jock West Jones is a transfer from Ole Miss. But some new faces on this defensive unit as well. How good can that that group be? I think that they have the potential to be really steady. I mean, I, I think the baseline on defense for Kentucky in the last four or five years has been elevated to a point because that's Mark's, you know, bed and bread and butter. They've got a lot of continuity there with uh, with Brad White coming back and defensive coordinator, even though, you know, like LSU and some other programs pursued him very heavily in the offseason, that you feel good that they're going to be at least competent. The question for me is whether they have – you know, the individual star power they had at, at times. I mean, obviously they probably don't have a Josh Allen who was the defensive national player of the year in, in 2018. Uh, they might not even have a Josh Pascal who was so important to them last year on the defensive line. So there are definitely some holes they needed to fill. But the good news is, is they've recruited a level that now the guys who are replacing those former stars – on defense were actually higher rated recruits coming out of high school than those guys were. So you you think that they have some potential to move in there. If, if they're going to be good on defense up front, they're going to need a guy like Justin Rogers, who was a five-star recruit from Michigan um, three or four years ago to emerge as a true difference maker, uh, an NFL draft pick kind of talent. They're really deep at the second level at linebacker because they got three of their starters last year, Jock West Jones, DeAndre Square and Jordan Wright to all come back for that super senior season next year of eligibility. And then behind them, they still have J.J. Weaver, who's probably their most talented linebacker, who was a little rusty last year coming off a torn ACL, but is a really, really good player. Uh, Trevin Wallace, uh, Martez Thrower, Derek Jackson, some really talented backups they feel good about in the second level. But the secondary on defense is really their, their real question mark. They lost a bunch from last season. And then Vito Tisdale, who they were counting on to be their nickelback, kind of moving around, do everything towards ACL and spring practice. He's probably going to miss the entire season. Uh, so that that's a question. They went out and added a bunch of transfers. Uh, Kedron Smith from Ole Miss uh, being the highlight maybe of that group. probably going to start at corner from them. How about him? They, yeah, they added some other guys. Um, Zion Childress from Texas State. They went out and added a Division II cornerback, uh, a walk-on from, from Mississippi State who's uh, who's transferred here. So it's going to be, I think, in preseason camp, a, a wide-open competition to figure out who steps up in the secondary. That's, that's the real question on defense. 
let's look at this game itself. You know, the, the road team hasn't won in this series since 2014 when State came up there as the number one team in the nation. Uh, last year here in Starkville, I mean, Will, Will Rogers had his best game as a collegian. He threw completed 94% of his passes, which sounds silly when you say I laugh every time I say it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, two years ago, I thought that was the most embarrassing loss of Mike Leach's tenure. Absolutely dominated by Kentucky from one end of the field to the other. What are your your thoughts early in on you know early here in July or late in July on on this game? Is there a chance for Mississippi State to come to Lexington and win? Or you know when you look at Kentucky's schedule, they could be rolling at this point if things go their way, especially if they can win that game in Oxford, which I think that they will. This has a potential to be a, a it's always a swing game, but this has the potential yeah. to really swing somebody's season. Yeah, I mean if if for me looking at Kentucky's schedule, those two Mississippi games are really like maybe the most important in ter- determining whether they're going to be a you know seven eight win team, maybe nine wins like they have they were last year, or a legitimate contender in the East. Like if they, if they think that they could actually push Georgia, or even if they don't push Georgia, get in contention for like that Sugar Bowl spot, they need to win both those games. And we know that this series has been kind of hard to predict. I mean, you mentioned the game two years ago when they just completely shut down the air raid and Mike Leach and it looked like they had figured that out. And then last year they just got destroyed. I mean, that was really the game that all the questions about Kentucky's secondary popped up. And, you know, it seems like on paper to me, the way last year's game played out is probably truer to form than two years ago, but because Kentucky's defensive philosophy is generally kind of a bend, don't break, we're going to give you the yards in front of us and not give up big plays. And we know that's how the air raid really thrives. And so like, how do you counter that strategy? If, if you're a defense that, you know, isn't going to be super aggressive and super, you know, pretty conservative out there is, is their general philosophy. I think that it's a real question, but um, to me, it's, it comes down to that secondary. If some of these transfers step up and, and prove to be legitimate sec level players, I like their chances against an offense like Mississippi State, but if if they have some of the same issues they had in the back end of the defense a year ago, that's a real a real opportunity to to have some of the bigger goals for the season kind of go off the rails. You know, so State plays Alabama right before Kentucky this year, so I mean that's gonna, yeah. yeah, no rest for the weary there. So that yeah, that's historically, that's not a great uh, a great method for your next week. I guess. No, it's not. In both games on the road, so this is an interesting stretch for Mississippi State. These two games try to find a way to be one and one, and I mean, obviously, you think the one can be Kentucky. You don't have a whole lot of faith in it being Alabama, but we will see when we get to uh, the end of October how this all pans out uh, for Mississippi State. John Hale from the Courier Journal. Thanks a lot, man. Always appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. So you listen to that interview, and he agreed with a lot of what a lot of what we and I have been saying about Will Levis that he has a lot to prove before we we can consider him worthy of all these these mock drafts that have him early in, in the first round. That being said, I think he's talented. I think he's got a high ceiling. He's got the physical tools, but I got to see it all come together. And he brought up an interesting point that I hadn't considered. You know, in Kentucky plays Florida in week two, so. You know, we were. Who are we talking about? Oh, the kid from uh, Texas A and M, uh, Anaya Smith. And we were like, when will he be uh, suspended? Well, they play Miami in Week Four, so that's probably when that'll be when mentioned. I feel like Chris Rodriguez, you know, who was arrested for DUI, he may only get a one game suspension because they're going to they're going to need him against Florida. Yeah, that that, and maybe it changes in the future, but that offense has not carried a, a big penalty with college football teams, it seems like. 
Like you get a DUI, like you're out for a couple of games. Um, kind of infor- unfortunate, I guess, in some ways, and a lot of people might disagree with me, but um, yeah, that's that's probably what's going to happen a game or two, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, like I said, I would be very surprised if he doesn't play against Florida because Kentucky needs him in that game. They need him to win, so and they want to win that game. And and that's the other thing to remember about Kentucky is they've got a couple of hurdles in the in the early season. They've got a couple of games. We just mentioned the uh, the uh, the game with uh with Florida. Sorry, and then they had that game in Oxford on October the first. Which honestly, Ole Miss should be four zero if Kentucky's four zero. That's probably a CBS game, and it mean, could be college game day. It could be a top ten matchup. To be, I mean, that sounds weird to think that Ole Miss and Kentucky could be a top ten matchup, but just based off their schedules, they're both probably going to be undefeated. If they're, they, they would be, they have a great chance to be six and zero when they play Mississippi State. And if they're six and zero and they're rolling, and that game's at home, that's going to be a, a tr- very tough environment for Mississippi State. So. I, I definitely, you know, when we get there, when we get to mid-October, could I change my prediction? Absolutely, I could. But right now, everything I'm seeing makes me think Kentucky's got a great chance to win this football game. 0-2 in this stretch, though, isn't a killer. But it means you have to take care of your of business and your games at home. you got to win at least three of them. You know, you obviously with Georgia, you don't think you're going to get that. And then LSU and Ole Miss. you got to split those games at, at worst. That's four and four. That's eight and four. You're in good shape there. 0 and two against LSU and Ole Miss. It's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough for Mississippi yeah. State. So they got to find a way in that situation. All we right. had uh, people were not happy with with you and I picking uh, State in that uh, Kentucky in that game, but wow. State has not been good there. No, in and almost a decade. A and that's a good team, and that is. That has become a tough place to play. It's not. It's no longer uh, a program that just cares about or a school that cares about uh, basketball. They will show out at football games now. That's become a tough place to play. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I, it would not shock me at all for State to lose that game. And that doesn't mean that State's going to be um, bad because I think Kentucky's a good team. It just means that that's a tough game. Yeah, I mean – my guess is you will go up to Kentucky and they'll be ranked at least in the top twenty. State could be ranked two coming into that game. So I mean, if you lose that game, it's it's not it's not the end of the world. But you know, yeah. it's college football. You only got twelve games. You got to you got to win so many. So, all right, let's move on into the second half of the show. Brought to you by our friends over at the Mississippi Beef Council. Remember that beef it is what's for dinner when you're looking to cook out this weekend. Definitely want to talk about throwing some beef on the grill. A couple of big, thick ribeye steaks, a whole platter full of burgers for the kids, or maybe something big, maybe a big brisket. Obviously, brisket prices are coming down. I know they were at some all-time highs, but they're getting better. And, of course, there's plenty of great cuts of beef available at your local grocery stores and at your butcher shop. I saw a, a Facebook post yesterday from the uh, the butcher shop here in Starkville over there on University Drive. said, if you're looking for tri-tip, we've got you. And I'm like, you guys are literally reading my mind because that's what I wanted to cook this weekend. So I need to head up there and get something from them. Do the same. Head up your local guys, grab something, put on the grill this weekend. Beef, it's what's for dinner. Thanks to our friends at the Mississippi Beef Council. Two Brothers Smoked Meats in the heart of the Cotton District is the place to get smoked southern soul food. Said it last week, or said it earlier this week, we'll say it again. When we get to football season, getting into Two Brothers, it's tough. 
tough because everybody wants to go there because everybody knows. Everybody knows how good the food is. This is the time to go to Two Brothers. These final weeks of summer, get in there, get some wings, get some tacos, get a burger, get a sandwich, and enjoy yourself. Get great smoked southern soul food at Two Brothers Smoked Meats. Great products and great service. Every business promises it. This is who delivers on it. It's Advantage Business Systems. And I know that because you can't be in business for as long as they are. You can't do 47 years worth of business if you don't take care of your customers. So you know you know, going in, you're talking to professionals. You're talking to people who will take care of you. Make sure when you need business products, when you need copiers and printers and computers and laptops, that you're dealing with people that you know will grant the customer service you need if something goes wrong. Number is 601-362-9192 or visit them online at absms.com. Find out how Advantage Business Systems will help your business do business. All right, let's jump back into the countdown. We've got three games to get. We've got number uh, 32, 31, and 30, and we'll be caught up. Get some good games here, Robbie. Some, 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 some recent ones and one that's a... Uh, I mean... <laughs> This is how I know I'm old, Robbie. This this game that's number 30, we're talking about, it's from 1992, and I still sort of consider that recent. It's been 30 years, but that <laughs> still feel recent to me. Um, 30 years. Wow. It's just painful to think about. But let's start with something that is really, and not, not just technically recent, actually recent, number 32 from 2017, a personal favorite because, as you know, Robbie, I have a large contingent of LSU fans in my family, and anytime I can rub their nose in it, I'm a big fan of that. Mississippi State 37, LSU 7. I thought coming into this game that State could win, that LSU wasn't that good. I remember I remember doing podcasts and previews and all that and thinking, yeah, State could win this game. I did not go out on the limb and say State was going to win by 30 points, though. But this was one of the most dominating wins over LSU Mississippi State has ever had. They completely controlled the game. I do think that if the LSU gets that early touchdown that was wiped out on an offensive pass interference, maybe it's a little different. But LSU had no answer for Nick Fitzgerald and Aris Williams. They ran wild on them all night. Fitzgerald had one of his better nights throwing the football. And defensively, State just swallowed LSU up every time they tried to do anything, basically. Yeah, I remember Jeffrey Simmons had a few big plays in this game. and Had some words um, for LSU before the game, too. Yes, he did. And, you know, all the talk before the game, you know, was, you know, Darius Geis and um, I think Daryl Williams was on that. That uh, Arden Key came back. That's Even right. A couple games, I was like, oh, Arden Key's coming back. It's going to be a big deal. And State neutralized him, really. Yeah. But this was, this was just a game where uh, the play calling by Dan Mullen in this game was exceptional, by mm-hmm. the way. You know, he had that one um, – play action or whatever it was where Keith Mixon was like 40 yards away from everybody else and just walked into the end zone. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, State just ran the ball down their throats. They were methodical in the passing game. Fitzgerald didn't make very many mistakes in this ball game. Um, You know, when they did throw the football, it was successful, but they established the run and LSU just couldn't stop it from the second quarter on. I mean, this was a – I'm looking back at the back box score now. This was a 0-0 game after the first quarter. Mm-hmm. And this, the the end of the first half and the start of the third quarter, they just made LSU tap out. That's and, a good uh, way to put it. That 
they 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 were basically like the hammer and the and the nail there, and they just finally pushed them through. Also, remember in this game, LSU had I think two players thrown out for targeting, and both of those were like not targeting, you know, where you're trying to hit a receiver and it just goes wrong, and and you get them up top. Both of those were like late hits on Nick Fitzgerald. Yeah, That's just dumb penalties. So LSU complete meltdown. They really took on the personality of Ed Ordron. If you remember this this season, Robbie, you know, they lose this game, and then the next week, I think they lost to Troy. Yep. I didn't know that he was going to get out of the season. I really did think I thought he was going to get fired midway through. Obviously, they turned it around and, and won a, a national title. You know, two years later, but this game, I mean, one of the most dominant dominating performances over LSU that Mississippi State will ever have. So that's our number 32 game. And one more thing on this. Yeah. After this game, I went to La Tech the week before State beat La Tech. Yeah, yeah the crazy. And, you know, Jeffrey yeah. Simmons went nuts in that game yeah. and all that. After this game, it, this really felt like 2014 again. You know, State was 3-0. and The whiff of that. Going to Georgia. Game. You know, if you get through Georgia and Auburn, you're the number one team in the country, basically. And they just got obliterated and back. Spoiler alert. They did not get through Georgia and Auburn. No. But all. the rest of the season after that, when they got through that Auburn game, yeah. the rest of the season was was pretty good. Who else did they lose to? They lost to, to Alabama, and, of course, they lost the Egg Bowl. Yeah. You know, and, and but, I mean, Alabama game was that close game, game that we were just talking about. And yeah. the Egg Bowl is Fitzgerald getting hurt. So, And, and if Fitzgerald is healthy. They win. And then they win that ball game. Then you have a 10, nine, 10 win season. Yeah, you have a nine win season going into the bowl game. You're probably going to the Citrus Bowl at that point. And yeah, 10 wins. Well, Great. and I I still contend if State beats Bama that year, mm-hmm. Dan Mullen might still be the coach. Maybe I not now, thought, but I think he would I think he would have stayed that year. That thought has crossed my mind that that he he had him on the ropes and he couldn't knock him out. And he looked around and he was just like, I can't do it here. Yeah. I can't do it here. Although I will say this, and I, I I remember saying it very clearly after that that game. And if you want to ask anybody, for whatever reason, Bob was out the next week. I did a podcast with Will Salmon, and I, one of the things that were true was Mississippi State will beat Alabama in 2018. I didn't know at the time Mullen was about to bail, but yeah. I, I, I thought that for sure. All right, another fun win here for the number 31 game. We go back to the. Uh, 2010 season. Talk about Mississippi State 10, Florida 7. The apex mountain of always run, never pass. That really was something. I, to this day, can't believe State State did not throw the ball in the second half. They threw, what, three passes in the game? I need to, I need to look at the ball. They box. threw nine passes. In the nine game. passes total. And yet they won. Vic Ballard, Chris Ralph, and this was a game, no big plays, no no 30, 40-yard chunk plays. State just kept getting basically three and a half yards of carry. And they just kept moving the chains and moving, and they couldn't score. And then on the other side of it, defensively, dominant, just a dominant. I think people underrate that, that 2010 defense. People always remember 2018. They remember 1999. There are, you know, K.J. Wright just retired today. Yeah, there were a lot of NFL guys. I mean, Fletcher Cox, Josh Boyd, Pernell McPhee all played in the NFL. Two of them are really good NFL players. Chris Wright played. Chris White played. I mean, he won the Connerly. 
Yeah, he he played a year, I think, maybe in yeah. the NFL. And AJ Wright, but... long career in the NFL. Jonathan Banks was on that team. And Charles then Mitchell. Charles Mitchell played in the NFL. Nico Whitley would have been an NFL guy if he doesn't get hurt. No question about that. Cam Lawrence. The other corner, Corey Broomfield was a solid SEC corner. That was a really good defense. Really good defense. And, and KJ Wright calling the shots. Yeah, KJ Wright had a big turnover in this game. Yeah. I think it was in the fourth quarter they were driving down the field, and uh, I think he recovered a fumble. That the defense was the difference in this game because mm-hmm. state it was it was ten to nothing in the first quarter and state never scored again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think did Florida miss a field goal to end the game? Yes, they would have tied the game and they missed the field goal. It was just you know state's defense just was. Uh, just was outstanding in this ball game, and Florida had some a really good players. This was the t- this was the tail end of Urban Meyer's reign. There, mm-hmm. uh, they had just gone to the national championship a couple years prior. They just won the East the year before, but they, this is when they were using uh you know Trey Burton. They thought Trey mm-hmm. Burton would be like another Tim Tebow type guy. They right. used him as a tight end. Oh, yeah, he would line up back there, and he just never really got anything off the ground in this game. Oh. That they could never hit those big plays uh, in this ball game for whatever reason. I mean, they they threw the ball thirty nine times. Mississippi State passed. Uh, Mississippi State ran it forty nine times. Listen to these stats; just in, insane. Like you just mentioned, forty nine rushing attempts for two hundred twelve yards. They averaged four point three yards per carry. The longest rush of the night was eighteen yards, and that was by Chad Bumpus. So you know that was a jet sweep or something. Ballard yeah. had twenty for ninety eight. Ralph had twenty two for eighty two. They just kept hammering them and getting enough to get first downs. Here's the passing stats, and they are hilarious. Chad Bumpus, one catch for 30 yards. Brandon Henderson, one catch for four yards. Arcedo Clark, one catch for four yards. Vic Ballard, one catch for negative five yards. That's it. Yeah. It's just funny. This, this game, about. this game had a feel of like 1945 it did. or something. It was a you know, a wing tee almost. Like, it's like Dan Mullen brought out the three yards in a cloud of dust. Yes. You know, every now and then, like, they might throw a pass, but the, for the most part, they're just going to be running the option. Yeah. That's pretty much what it was. It was a read option, mm-hmm. but it was basically the the triple option yeah. out of the shotgun. It was basically what we saw with Jackie Parker or something. I mean, like, that. that's basically what this offense was, do whatever it takes to win. And Dan Mullen knew if he could just milk that clock and possess the football, he had a good shot. One last thing from this game that uh, I always remember is the post-game video of Urban Meyer doing his press conference down in, in the locker room, and you can hear the Mississippi State fans going crazy still in the in the stadium. And there's something where he pauses and you hear this huge cheer, and he just like looks at his – notes and looks at the podium and just shakes his head hilarious just, yeah he was he was depressed he had some cold pizza that night for sure definitely definitely all right one more game to get to here uh from the 1992 season as i mentioned earlier mississippi state 37 kentucky 36 these highlights are available on youtube of this game i would suggest going back and watching it because it's an incredible game to watch back and forth all night uh, a lot of talent on the field for Mississippi State and Kentucky in this game. And it uh, one of the best endings in MSU history as uh, walk-on safety Jeff Arteegs, who, if that name is familiar, if you live in Starkville, he is the deacon at the Catholic Church here, St. Joseph. Uh, 
You can go see him anytime you want. He's more than happy to replay this story with you, by the way. Um, blocks a field goal with no time remaining, and Mississippi State gets a 37-36 win. I always, I've told this story a few times. I was actually, this game was played in Lexington. I was at the Ole Miss LSU game in Jackson. My dad and I got free tickets. We were like, what the heck, let's go watch a football game. So I'm listening to the to Jack on the Walkman, right? The old school Walkman. Yep. And just as coincidence would have it, there was another state fan sitting behind me who was kind of in the same thing. He's like, yeah, I just wanted to come to the game. State scores in a timeout on the field in Jackson. So everybody's just sort of sitting there being quiet. And then these two guys in, in the LSU section just start going crazy. And we're all like, people are looking at us like, what are y'all cheering about? Oh, we're listening to Mississippi State. We're wow. got the Bulldogs on. Go State. And so I have nothing to add because the only, I, I went to the did they play Texas that year? State, yeah. They went to play Texas in Austin. In Austin, okay. Yeah. When did they play Texas in Star Bowl? First year. Okay. Uh I was at that game. I was okay. I still have the ticket. I, I was two years old. Oh. You I don't remember I don't remember anything from, from either one of those se- seasons. Yeah. So so, uh, so I have I remember nothing to add about ninety two. Driving home from Jackson with my dad. And we got to the parking lot right as Doug Pelfrey, who remember you remember Doug Pelfrey played for years with the Bengals as their kicker. He's lining up to kick the field goal. So we I just stay in the car and we're like, oh God, oh God, oh God. And then he, you know, Jack's like, it's blocked. <laughs> like, what? So really fun game. I, I definitely suggest go back and watch the highlights. Pookie Jones, the quarterback for Kentucky. What a player uh he was. Fun game to watch, a fun game to relive and recap. But we need I you know, I've, I've had so many former players on the show that are big names. I should just get Jeff on here one day. Like, let's talk about this game. So. Yeah, because that's an era that you don't really – we don't early talk Cheryl about years, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like midway through Cheryl's tenure, people wanted him fired. 95, 96, yeah. When, until he beat Alabama in 96. Like, if, if he, had a, he had a pretty strong start. You know, he, they beat Texas. They had yeah. some big wins. We went to bowl games really started tailing off. four years. Yeah, and then they were bad in '95, and then in '96. So I, I remember this really clearly. '96, they they beat it's it's now ULM. They were NLU, and yes. so they were. They had four games remaining. They were four and uh, three on the season. Is that right? They lost in two. No, they were they were four and four on the season. That, that's not right either. They were three and four in the season. I got it now. And so everybody was like, okay, that year Kentucky was really bad. Um, Arkansas was really bad. And Ole Miss wasn't good. And so everybody's like, if they could beat those three teams, they'll lose to Alabama, but they could go to a bowl game. That would be a great year for Jack. And they went up to Kentucky and, to, and lost to a really bad Kentucky team. And so you're yeah. all like, okay, he's going to get fired at the end of the season. He's going to get fired because he's going to lose to Alabama and then they're not going to be able to go to a bowl. And then they beat Alabama in the game that obviously we will cover later in the countdown. And so now you're back going, okay, they're going to a bowl game. And then I will never forget that Arkansas game as long as I live. I have never been to a deader football game in my life. Everybody had spent all of their energy the week before. And this game was like this was back, you know, in the old non-televised days. So it was like a 130 kickoff. 
on a, and on November Saturday. I mean, people were, I remember at one point we're just sitting there in the student section and I think it may have been my friend, Ryan Nelson, but somebody just yelled out, Hey, hey we beat Alabama last week. And everybody just starts laughing because we're just <laughs> sitting there. We're being quiet. And they lose to Alabama to Arkansas in overtime. First ever overtime game for Mississippi state. And then of course they win the egg bowl the next week. And it was just the right. weirdest ending of the season, but beating Alabama and Ole Miss saved Jackie's job. And then, he sprung sprung that into 97, 98, 99, and 2000, his best years. At, at 97 was actually a good year, and they didn't even make a bowl. They were 7-4 and four and didn't go to a bowl because there were only 16 bowls at the time. The winner of the Egg Bowl that year was guaranteed a spot in the Motor City Bowl where Ole Miss went and played against Marshall and Randy Moss. Yes. So, yeah. Think about nowadays, right? That team, first of all, they would have been 8-4 and because they would have played another non-conference game that they would have won. Yep. They're probably ranked in the top 15. They're probably going to like the, the, the you know, the Outback Bowl. But and then, you had the, seven, then you had the five win state team going to a bowl game. Yeah. But a seven a win team later. that beat Auburn and Alabama in the same season didn't go to a bowl game. It's crazy. College football, man. It's fun stuff. All right. Tomorrow's show, we'll do another countdown game. We got some basketball recruiting tomorrow to talk about. Mississippi State picked up a class of 23 guy. We'll talk a little bit about him, maybe some baseball recruiting. Plus, this weekend, well, tomorrow will be more of a recruiting show because the uh, I love the name. The SummerSlam event will be this weekend on campus, plus the Top Dog Camp. S- expecting commitments out of this. It, Mississippi State should be. So we'll talk about that on tomorrow's show as well. For Robbie Falk, I'm Brian Haydad. Thanks for listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi Media Production.